Hello, everyone. My name is Tim, and I'm your host of the All Out Coach podcast, dedicated to sharing unique and candid stories from leaders who are experts at integrating all different aspects of life into their business and their legacy, and who will inspire you to stretch yourself and lift others. I connected with my guest on LinkedIn earlier this year in the winter because of his unique content and education that he shared consistently and his background. When he invited me to the presentation and premiere of his latest Diamond Goldfish, I could not miss it despite that cold weather. He is a TEDx speaker, a senior marketing leader with 20 years of experience with different clients, Adidas, Synergy, Starbucks, just to name a few. He's an internationally renowned speaker with many millions of sky miles, I must imagine. And he's a Forbes columnist as well. But what I found different about getting to know our next guest was not just how personal his email invitation sounded, but how genuinely curious he was about getting to know who I was, about my projects, and about All Out Coach after the premiere of his book. And so we're very fortunate today to have Stan Phelps join us and talk to us about how to win in the game of business by managing relationships and managing the ever-present pressures that we face every day. Stan, welcome to the All Out Coach podcast for the first time. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you for having me, Tim. Glad, great to be here. In Diamond Goldfish, which I'm going to show the readers right here, as you're a best-selling author of 11 books, you discuss the growth mindset in business and different factors of how businesses can grow. Can you please describe those factors and which ones can you control? Right. So thanks, Tim. So what's if all of my books, <laughs> this one's the Diamond Goldfish, um, but you can see over here, they all, they all have the goldfish theme. And so the goldfish is really a metaphor for growth and differentiation. And so the average goldfish grows to only be three inches in length, which is the size of our thumb. That's about three inches or 10 centimeters. Come to find out that the world's largest goldfish is nearly 50 centimeters or 20 inches. That's the size of like an average domesticated house cat. So like, how is that even possible that some grow to be, you know, average or smaller and some grow to be much bigger? Well, it turns out there's five reasons why a goldfish grows. And really quickly, the first is for a goldfish, the size of the bowl or the pond that they're in. And that factor in business is the market that you serve, right? The bigger the market, the more you can grow. Right. The second thing for a goldfish is the amount of other goldfish that are in the bowl or the pond. And this one's an inverse relationship. So the more goldfish there are, the harder it's going to be for that goldfish to grow. Who are those other goldfish in business? It's your competition. The third thing is the quality of the surrounding water, the nutrients, the cloudiness of the water. 
And that's just the economy. You know, we're in the midst right now of a global pandemic. I don't have to explain, you know, how things are, are, are difficult right now. The fourth thing for a goldfish is how they do in their first 120 days of life. So they're tiny when they're born. How do they do during that critical stretch? Um, and in business, what are you called your first four months? You're a, you're a startup. Now, the fifth and final growth factor for a goldfish, and it's the metaphor, is genetic makeup. So what is that goldfish born with that separates it from all of the other goldfish in the bowl? And the more that they're separated and the stronger their genes are, the more they typically grow. If their genes are weak and they're like everyone else, the less they grow. Now the punchline here, Tim, and I know you, you've read the book, but what do we really have control over? Do we have control over the market? No. How about our com competition, right? Right, not unless we're buying them. <laughs> right. Does anyone have control over the economy right now, right? I wish, I could only wish. Um, and here's the thing, if you're, you're listening to this podcast and you've already been in business for more than four months, you can't control that either. The only thing you can control is how you differentiate yourself in what you do, but more importantly, how you do it and why you do it. And we talk about in business that business is really about a game of building identity. And the better that you can be in terms of managing yourself and building the identity of others, that's the biggest capital that we can have in business, our ability to manage relationships. Since you define a business as a game, who are the players in this game? And what is the prize? Well, certainly, you know, money is the how we keep score within the game mm -hmm. but great players realize that as I mentioned that this is a game about building identity and, and status and the better that we can we can understand that and satisfy the needs of the prospects that we do that we're trying to acquire mm -hmm. as well as manage the clients that we have and build up their identity and develop those relationships, the better we do. The money comes just as a result of managing those relationships. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a quote here. Um, this is a quote by, uh, by Scott Stratton. I love this. If you believe business is built on relationships, make building them your business. Yeah. Someone gave that to me as a gift. It was really nice. At the end of the day, it comes down to building identity and managing relationships. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wish I had learned that earlier on in my career. I was so focused on being the best that I could be. And it took me a, a lot of time and many different experiences and environments to realize that. And that's why I've actually recently, Stan, I've changed my uh, my tagline on LinkedIn, 
where uh, it now is adding energy, excitement, one re meaningful relationship at a time. Now, personalities, you mentioned a little bit about managing relationships. So can you talk a little bit about the different personality types in business and how do you, how do you adapt your approach to differentiation, to different personalities? Yeah, so, so I'd love to talk about not personality, we call it behavioral styles. We fall into one of four behavioral styles. But before we get to that, Tim, I want to mention the idea of why this book is called The Diamond Goldfish. Yeah. And so the idea of uh, the diamond in the diamond goldfish is simply this idea of managing ourselves in business at what we call the diamond rule, following the diamond rule. And it's, we believe it's the 4.0 version of being successful in business. And so if it's the 4.0, then there's got to be a 1.0 a 2.0 and a 3.0. Right. So let me quickly, it starts with the 1.0. Um, I wasn't aware of this till I started doing research, but it's called the silver rule. And, and you had heard of the silver rule, Tim? No, I didn't until the book presentation. No, so the no. silver rule dates all the way back to the days of Confucius. And essentially the silver rule was what I wish others not to do onto me, I also wish not to do onto others. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it was just do no harm. Do no harm. Kind of, yeah, in, in the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. And we, we talk about it in the book. That's not a bad place to start, yeah. right? In fact, Google, when it started in the 1990s, for its first 20 years, their corporate philosophy was do no evil. Right, it's not a, it's foundational. Now the 2.0 is a little bit more prescriptive. It builds upon the silver rule. And everyone, every culture, every religion knows the 2.0. It's the golden rule. Right? And instead of just saying don't do bad stuff, it takes it one step further and it says do unto others, right? as you would want them to do onto you. Yeah. And so again, this is better, but the problem, the problem, especially from a sales and a client management perspective, and we're gonna to get to the four behavioral styles, that unless Tim is the same style as Stan, mm -hmm. if I treat Stan, Tim the way that Stan would like to get treated, there's no guarantee that that's going to work for you. And we live in a world where we close less than one out of four new sales opportunities. And we also live in a world where one out of every four clients leave us each year. You know, an all out coach, I, I had one post uh, where I talked about treating others as if they were to write a book about you kind of a play on that, on the digital age in which we live, which, right. um, you know, exposes us to a lot of information, but also a lot of biases and attention span that's, uh, that's scattered. And it's because in my mind, a lot of that can be really speaks to operating at the golden rule. 
that we're going to, if we treat everyone the way that we want to get treated, we're going to miss out on opportunities. Now, the, the 3.0 extends, it's better than the golden rule. It's called the platinum rule. Mm -hmm. And this dates back to the 1990s. Very simply, the platinum rule says, I'm going to treat others the way that they would like to be treated. So this is more outward. It's more grounded in empathy. Mm -hmm. And I figure out what Tim wants. And then I give Tim what he wants. Now, it sounds good in theory. But the problem is, if I'm focusing 100% on you, Tim, who am I neglecting? You're neglecting yourself? I'm neglecting myself. And there could be a point where we're interacting that I might feel, you know, slighted, that I might feel out of sorts. And if I'm not managing myself because I'm totally focused on you and your needs, then I'm going to lose it. Yeah, there has to be and, a balance, right? Yeah, you're going to lose balance. So, mm-hmm. you know, great quote that we share in the book is from one of the greatest business minds of our time, Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah. And he famously said, you know, everybody's got a strategy, right, till they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. And, and so the 4.0 is, is what we call the diamond rule. And the, the 4.0 kind of combines the best parts of the golden rule and the best parts of the platinum rule and puts them together. And the diamond rule is essentially this. It's first managing yourself under pressure to, to kind of, we'll talk about it later, neutralize yourself that allows you then to focus on the needs of the other person to address their concerns and reduce their pressure. <clears throat> and so that's at the heart of if we can elevate our game up to the 4.0, if we can first know ourselves, right, know our own style yep. and the things that trigger us, it frees us up to then focus on the other person, the prospect or the client that we're working with. Yeah, and uh, I think that's fundamental to understanding uh, the book and really uh, getting value out of uh, reading the book uh, that I hope a lot of the listeners will, will consider. I think regardless of what environment we've worked in, uh, whether or not it was corporate or others, uh, I think we've all been in a situation where our leader tells us we must go all in and thinking that that's going to increase performance among employees, right. among teams. Okay. So what I want to ask you next is how do we counter our biology and how do we actually avoid those pressure triggers that you talk about in the book? And what's the ultimate outcome of decreasing pressure in us and in others yeah. around us? Yeah. I'd love for you to talk about that. So, so great point. This really leads into the four styles. The four styles are grounded in how we cope with pressure as individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the reason why it's called diamond as well, and, and the idea of this diamond rule is how is a diamond created, right? It's simply <clears throat> simply a chunk of coal, right? 
that did well under what? Did well under pressure. And so it's this idea that our biology, we've got kind of three parts of our brain. And, uh, you know, the most primitive part of our brain is right here at the stem. It's called the amygdala. And its sole job is to be the human highlighter, constantly scanning, looking for what? Threats. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the challenge for our primitive brain. In fact, they call that the lizard brain because it's the only part of a brain a lizard has is that that part of our brain cannot tell the difference between threats to our life and threats to our identity. Mm -hmm. And we talk about in the book, that's why people fear public speaking so much because no one really dies literally from giving a speech, but you feel that threat to your identity when you have to get up and speak. Now, the second part of our brain, and this is key, surrounds that amygdala over here. It's called the limbic system. And the limbic system is where long-term memory is stored. Um, It's also the part of our brain that regulates all of our bodily functions. So our heartbeat, our sweat glands, um, our respiration. And the, the third part of our brain is the biggest part of our brain. It's this entire frontal lobe. It's called the neocortex. Right. And that's the the thing that makes us truly humans as human beings. It's where art, it's where language resides. It's where analytical reasoning, right? Complex thought. But here's the thing. And when we're acting normally, it allows us to be every very reasonable and rational until our amygdala senses a threat in the environment. And immediately when it sees that threat, it sends signals to the limbic system, and that's when our body starts to go in a little bit of overdrive, right? Mm-hmm. We, are, we might just start sweating. Right. Our, our breathing might get labored, right? Our heart, might, heart rate might increase. That's, our, that's millions of years of biology you know, basically saying, hey, there's something that you need to pay attention to because your life could be in danger. Now, here's the thing. You mentioned how do you, how can you control pressure or try to eliminate those threats? I got bad news for you, Tim. <laughs> you can't. You can't. That's millions of years of programming in in our evolution you cannot but here's the thing and this is what we talk about you can develop an awareness of the triggers that you start to feel that bring on that pressure and so a lot of it the beginning is understanding when you feel like you're getting triggered under pressure Mm -hmm. and And if you can understand that, you can essentially step back, right, and not give in to the pressure and maybe take a few steps to clear your mind. 
Now, the important thing is, it's understanding that we have four survival strategies when it comes to managing threats and pressure. Mm-hmm. And so really quickly, they inform the, the four behavioral styles. So the first one is what we call the rhino. If you imagine a diamond, it would be the top part of the diamond. We call that the rhino quadrant. And what does a rhino do when a rhino is threatened? It, it puts that horn down and what does it do? It just, it charges right at the situation. Right. And it, the, the strategy there is to, to try to dictate, right, and force the action and run right at the threat. The second one is, is the second quadrant was what we call the deer quadrant. So if you've ever seen a deer that all of a sudden gets, yes. you know, can sense there's a threat, what does the deer do? It runs away. Boom, right? Yeah, it, it, it takes off. It's out of there. Same thing with a bird, right? Wings, boom. And the idea is they're going to get out of there, try to find an environment that is more suited where there's not that pressure. So their strategy is to migrate, right? Go somewhere else where the conditions are more favorable. Mm -hmm. Even whales do this. That's their strategy. You know, they'll travel thousands of miles when to to improve their habitat. Um, The third strategy is what's called the porcupine quadrant. So what does a porcupine do when they're under threat? Well, they just kind of hunker down, right? And they, I'm not doing a very good porcupine here, Tim, but, you know, they put the quills out. They have like 10,000 quills and they, their strategy is to, to tolerate. Mm -hmm. They're just going to try to ride out the storm Mm -hmm. um, until the pressure subsides, right? And then they can get up a turtle is very much like the porcupine. What do they do? They just retract into their shell and until the danger goes away. The fourth type is what we call the bear quadrant. And that's the idea of essentially when the environment starts to change and you start to feel a threat, what does a bear do? They go in the, they go in the cave, right? Yeah. And they hibernate. They can physically shut their body down and lower their bodily function, right? And then ride out until conditions change and then they come back out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the thing is, by the time we're about eight years old, there is one strategy that we tend to lock onto in terms of our personality. So the thing that we do when we're under pressure. And so it turns out those four survival strategies kind of inform the behavioral styles. And what are the behavioral styles? Sure. So the the first style is kind of like that rhino and it's called what's called the control. So controls are all about really looking into the future. They mm-hmm. want to make sure that there's a plan. They do a lot of thinking in their own head. And in the absence of a plan, 
they're going to charge in and start to dictate and try to take control of the situation. Mm -hmm. um, they can be some of the more difficult people to, to work with. Um, they're absolutely critical for a team because of their long-term view. The second type is, is kind of like that deer. It's what we call an influence. And an influence lives like right now, in the now. They're all about coming up with ideas. And once we've come up with an idea, it's like, all right, let's go. Action now, right? Mm -hmm. They tend to be pretty outgoing people, influences, and they crave freedom. Like they want to be able to do what they want to do. If they start to feel constrained or being told what to do, that's like death to an influence. So what does an influence do if they feel like they're under pressure? They get out. Mm -hmm. they, that's the migrate. Because they lose their influence. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The third type is kind of like that porcupine. Um, so it's what we call a power, right? And a power is all about kind of the next 90 days. They're focused kind of on the now. They love structure, to-do lists. They're all about powering through. And they're the happiest when they've got a ton of work and they're busy. Because they just want to, when, when they feel like they're under pressure, they, they don't want to rock the boat. They just want to try to keep going. Mm -hmm. Right? Let's tolerate. Let's not shake things up. Mm -hmm. The fourth style is that bear. And that's called an authority. And an authority, their time frame is that they live kind of in the past. They're always looking at what we just did because they're all about making sure that there's quality and that we're doing the right things in the right way. Mm -hmm. And an authority, because they live in the past, sometimes are reluctant to do new things, mm -hmm. right? In fact, they don't want to make decisions unless they feel like they have all of the information that they need right. so they can feel like they're an authority before they make a decision. I see. So they're analytical. Wow. And, and in the absence of not having all of the information, they will do nothing. They will hibernate <laughs> and and as as a survival strategy yeah so control influence power and authority okay. you, you mentioned you want to share your style i'll share mine sure uh i took the assessment you know i'm a coach but i follow coaches like yourself and many others who are innovative and who are unique uh, and so i took the assessment and uh, i was quite surprised i thought i would be a control but uh I was an authority. So I, uh, uh, you know, I was like a bear who hibernates in these situations. That's analytical too. Well, again, I, I know you work in, in the sciences and pharmaceutical. That field requires you to what? Not make any rash decisions. You want to make sure that you have all of the information 
right? Yep. Um, it's very much about maintaining standards. You know, that's just when you go through clinical research and yep. um, approval. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm an idea guy. So I'm right. like an off the charts influence. Influence. Oh, okay. And so I'm all about coming up with ideas like action let's go now and if somebody starts to tell me the things i need to do or constrain my freedom i'm out of here right that's right? why i kind of work for myself right i've got a horrible boss but i i work for myself for that reason <laughs> i like being independent Right. Um, you know your boss. You you already know yourself. You've studied yourself, and that's an important step that many people don't take. I think. Now, all four of the styles work everywhere within an organization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But to further ground it, if I had to tell you, well, those controls that are always thinking about the future, they tend to be geared more towards a like a marketing function. I see. And people like me that are all about ideas and outgoing and relationship driven tend to do well in, in business development and sales. I see. The people that are the powers, right? The, the porcupine, like next 90 days, let's, let's you know, power through this. They're ideal for operations. They're, they're like the backbone. In fact, they can get themselves in trouble because they can take on too much because they're happiest when they're the busiest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the people that are authorities tend to do well in more administrative type of roles. So mm -hmm. HR or finance, um, where you're always trying to be able to manage process and always looking about how to improve going forward if that helps ground it a little bit more sure yeah that, that's going to be helpful i think to those who listen to this Stan. what type of research has been done on these personalities yeah so, Are there any? so the, the methodology it's called it's called market force i see and you mentioned you went on diamondgoldfish.com and did the assessment right um so there's an assessment over the last 20 plus years, I think there's been over 150,000 assessments that have been done. I, I took the assessment, I read the book, and uh, the more that I read about the different case studies that you have in the book, the more that I truly realized, wow, that's, that's really me. And I think that a lot of the people who may read this book are also going to find, it, uh, find a discovery somehow you know when they they're going to get to know themselves a little bit better uh, and when i think about uh, leaders who are very successful who are those that i you know i admire for example i think they know how to shift gears from one situation to another one we often i think make assumptions about others in terms of their behavior their character their capabilities uh, and uh, particularly when the time is limited and we're faced with, with a lot of pressure, you know, not all of us actually train our intuition, I think. Right. Sufficiently to really understand and identify who am I dealing with? Is this a 
Is this a control? Is this an influence? Is this, and how do I manage my style accordingly? Right. Uh, but those that do, that are successful, I think they, should, they know how to shift gears. So can you talk a little bit about how people can change from one behavior style to another? Um, so, so what's important to understand is that on an average day, that when there's no pressure, things are operating normally, I can go from being a kind of a control mindset and style mm -hmm. in the morning yep. to pounding stuff out and powering through stuff in the afternoon and then go into a brainstorm and have different ideas to, you know, working on my books and, and doing all of the finance and that an authority would, would be, it's only when the pressure starts to rise do we start to go back to our natural behavioral style. I see. So um, I want to make that clear. So it's not like you're going to act always in that way. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. There are certain characteristics when you have that style of how you like to deal with other people. And for example, there are people like me who has an influence on more, you know, relationship, warmth or sincerity driven, that when I start a meeting with someone, I don't want to get right to the business. Yeah. Right. I want to develop what? A little rapport. Yep. I want to feel good about the other person. I noticed that when we met at the book presentation, Stan. So and and but here's the thing. If you and I were doing business, Tim, and I know now that you're an authority, right? Um, authorities tend to be more matter of fact. Like you have to, you have to demonstrate competence because that's what you value, right? That you can trust me, that I'm competent. And then once you know that I'm competent, then you're willing to do the sincerity and the warmth piece. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if we walked into a room and you were my client or my prospect, the golden rule would say, I treat Tim the way that Stan would like to get treated. Right. And that's, that's not the right way at all. I'm going to actually treat you the way you would like to get treated. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not paying attention to myself and I didn't feel any warmth coming back from you, I might get triggered because I might think you don't like me because I'm an influence, right? I want to feel like I'm valued. Mm -hmm. And you see how that could be if I'm not paying attention to myself and managing myself. If I know, look, Tim, that's just how you are. Right. There's no right or wrong. This just is how you naturally like to be treated. Then I don't judge you. Yeah. I realize is that if I can know what your concerns are, I can proactively address those. So for example, if I go into a meeting as an influence, I could care less if you give me an agenda. Right? Because I'm going to be like, Let's come up with ideas and be right in the moment. Whereas you're an authority. If there's stuff that's going to be 
talked about at that meeting, you're going to want an agenda and you're going to want to know what's, you know, all the stuff that you're going to want to feel like you're informed right. on all. So again, it's, it's trying to, if you understand again, that business is a game of relationships and you want to play the game at a higher level, it's very much being able to manage yourself, but then address the concerns of others. Yeah. Yeah. And the book does that, I think, beautifully. And at, at the end, in the last section of the book, you actually provide tips uh, with how readers can apply those different behavioral styles that they encounter in life and in business. Take a look through the book, listen to this podcast, and also see how, what you can do differently after reading the book, uh, because it does offer you a lot of resources. Judging by my, my own personality and in my, in my career in the far, in, in pharmaceutical industry, I've dealt with many different types of personalities in marketing and sales. And I've always been the kind of person who uh, wanted to demonstrate impact and stretch my abilities a little bit farther. That's, that's why I came up with my slogan, right? At All Out Coach. All out, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, I always find it interesting to understand what value, like you said, and what identity I have across different functions and learn about different functions. Because there are times from my career where I've had to be creative and I've enjoyed it. I've kind of lost myself being innovative, not always analytical. But in terms of trust and identity with the prize being identity, you define it very simply. And I think in a very important way in the book of value plus trust, I, be I believe, correct? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about trust, that trust aspect? You know, how do you define trust? I think, which you do, I think, in the book as well. Yeah, you know, trust is really combined of those two things that I just shared, mm -hmm. sincerity and competence. So 80% yeah. of how we view other people comes down to just those two elements. Right. And again, depending upon your behavioral style, you tend to prioritize one over the other. Yeah, I see. And, and, and here's the thing. They're, they're also, you know, people tend to either gravitate towards action or mm -hmm. people tend to gravitate towards inaction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's also understanding how those styles are. And what's neat is we kind of give you kind of 10 different elements of how the styles can be kind of how they're different. Mm -hmm. which allows you to do a better job of kind of identifying the different styles when you're, when you're working. You know, one of the things, Tim, that I'm really proud of is this thing that we created. This is what we call the, the diamond rule matrix. Yeah. And what's neat is you go up here and depending upon what your style is, control, influence, power, authority, now you go down and it really gives you a little bit of a menu for how you can deal effectively with the other styles. This is a handy tool because, as you said, it, it's a little bit intricate mm -hmm. to start to understand this. This makes it really practical that I, before I go into that next meeting or that next sales call, right, I can get some good feedback based on the style of who I'm dealing with. Yeah. 
Great. And I think this is very timely in the kind of environment we live in now, which is unprecedented, I think. And I just, I want to read a quote from the book that I, I liked, um, which I hope will empower and encourage readers to, uh, to manage themselves and their biology. Um, so you have chapter three called Biology and Pressure. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Viktor Frankl, Austrian neuroscientist. And, and if I might add, Tim, Holocaust survivor. And Holocaust survivor, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, talk about pressure. <laughs> you know, the stimulus is kind of like the triggers in our environment, that threat. And he said, between stimulus and response, so many times we get triggered and we immediately respond. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He said, between that stimulus and response, there's what? There's space. Right. And he said, in that space is our ability to choose what? How we respond. How we respond, right. And in that choice lies our growth and our freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is, I think, one of the most powerful quotes from the entire book. Thank you for sharing that. Sure, sure, Stan. Uh, thank you for writing this book, which is so timely. And uh, I remember attending your book premiere in January, and it was it just foreshadowed all the events that would ensue afterwards, right? And uh, how, how timely it is that we can uh, also apply it. And uh, the return on investment, I think, on it is, is, is just uh, limitless in any field as well. Uh, the last two questions I have is, one is really on what uh, stimulated you to write this book? Um, you know, what inspired you? Because I know you've written 11, you have different colors of all in the goldfish series. Um, can you talk a little bit yeah. about inspiration? Uh, your personal. So, yeah, th this, this was the ninth color and there are now 10 colors and 15 total books, but who's counting Tim? Uh, <laughs> I about, God, this is about 12 years ago. I worked with Travis, who's one of my co-authors. I was at, I was kind of the number two in an agency and we had brought Travis in to do some coaching for our team. Mm -hmm. And I saw the power of being able to kind of up our game in terms of managing not only our clients and our prospects, but our, the dynamics within our team to get better, to get along better and work well together. And Travis and I had always kind of stayed in touch. He had never written a book about this. And I was always looking for something within that kind of sales and creating a better client experience. It was about two and a half years ago, I had the idea and like a month later, we connected and he said, you know, I've always thought about writing a book. And it was just, you know, came together nicely. Yeah. And the way that the Travis explains market force is the idea of imagine if you're trying to hit like a baseball or maybe even a tennis ball. Travis and I come from tennis backgrounds. But imagine your ability to pick up the spin on the ball just a little bit quicker. Your ability to then, you know, 
hit that ball or hit that stroke may go from being a defensive to an offensive posture by just that small little bit of insight. Right. And that's what I think if you, if you become a student of this and you can raise your game is what diamond goldfish can give you. Yeah. Thank you, Stan. And I'll just preview that tennis example that those who are going to read this book, uh, just uh, make sure that you pay particular attention to the example of how Andre Agassi learned how to read Boris Becker's serve. And I'm not going to say any much more than that. I found that quite interesting. It's a great example, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to give it away, in fact, uh, <laughs> to the listeners. What is, just one last question, what is one message that you would like to share with those who would listen to our discussion that stretch themselves, that lift others, despite the unprecedented challenges of our times? Yeah, I'll go back to where I first started, which is, you know, business is about building relationships and you know what i'm proud of as well in the book is what we call the mind framework mindset identify neutralize empathize and uh you know diamonds you actually have to go and get them <laughs> you can't just bulldoze you have to actually go in there with the pick to get the diamond and to me it's a testament to the work that you have to do if you want to truly build these these types of relationships great thank you very much stan i hope to see you again very soon and to have some of your time again on all out coach when you are going to write more books in the future which i know there will be search for diamond goldfish diamondgoldfish.com and uh, i coach and i mentor based on a lot of your books a lot of your insights as well stan on the other books that you've written, uh, such as The Silver Goldfish, uh, which I thank you. And I'm looking forward to everyone getting to know you and more about this book, Diamond Goldfish, everyone. Stan Great. Phelps. Thank Tim, you thank you much. for having me on the All Out podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time.